0: Well, I want to welcome you all to another Monday edition of Lifeline on this extremely, extremely hot uh, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, if you will, September 28, 2020. We are exactly one day away, maybe even 24 hours away from the uh, Biden-Trump debate, and uh, that ought to be epic, it ought to be um, telling, if you will. Uh, there are a lot of things we're going to learn about, particularly Joe Biden's health, his mind, his presence. Um, he's getting ready to have some pressure put on him, I think, from from uh, Mr. Trump, and he he will he will expose himself as to whether he has even the competency of a lengthy conversation in the context of a dialogue an oppositional dialogue. To boot, you guys do know what it's like to engage someone that is debating you, that's challenging you, that's opposing your ideas and views, and has an opportunity uh, via the format of debate that we are all used to here in America to take what is said by way of formatted questions. And uh, if, if, if uh, Biden's opponent does a inadequate job, Biden will be challenged to have to actually give an answer. Many of the things that he has said uh, during this presidential campaign, vice versa, will be the case also for President Trump. So it should be a very insightful, very productive, uh, simply because it's managed. It's a managed debate, which is probably the best kind of debate you can have, where two people aren't just ranting at each other and talking apples and oranges like you. Have with folks on the street. That's not really a civil debate. But, um, we'll have, I think, two hours of a, a debate time, hour and a half or so, where they can, uh, lay out their policies, expose each other's indiscretions and faults and errors. And, uh, it, it should be a very telling event, uh, for, for the time. And both gentlemen. Uh, represent exactly what we were talking about last week on The Money Show. One of my callers, Steve from Hayward, called uh, making mention of the subject of the left and the right, and he, he raised a question that I had a, a great deal of time to to think about post-Monday uh, Lifeline program, and that was, what do we mean by the left and what do we mean by the right? And uh, he had made mention that listening to me at length. He saw that i made much uh, commentary about the left uh, and not a whole lot about the right. I wasn't sure if he was just leading on. I don't like to presume that with people. That is to say I'm not sure if he actually knows leftist policy or the policies of the right. I'm not sure if he knows the history of the left-wing, right-wing terminology, which uh, had its origins in, in Europe and in England uh, and made its way over here to the Americas. Uh, but just to take him up on the lexical term, the left and the right, I thought I would open up our program today by just a basic commentary on the concept of the left and the right, largely theologically. But I will actually talk to you guys today about what's the difference between the platform of the left and the pl- platform of the right. Let's say we all understand conventionally that the platform of the right is largely your conservative republican platform let's say we know that to be the political definition of the right and then that the platform of the left is the uh the left democratic party along with its uh, progressives and and extreme leftist positions because you can't separate uh joe biden and his traditional uh, socialist democratic party from the growing, increasingly, uh, pervasive, uh, progressive party that is starting to, to dominate the narrative and the conversation of, of those who are on the left and the policies that actually, uh, define who the left are today. So I'm, I'm talking to thousands of you who are professing Christians I know some of you are not but let's actually talk about the left and the right from a theological standpoint first and then we'll we'll pick up on the political implications because I thought it was quite telling when I went back to work through the idea of the left right and I saw that biblically biblically when you deal with God's language and you deal with God's history and you deal with God's character do you know that God does not speak well the God of the Bible, and there's only one true and living God, the God of the Bible does not speak well of the left. When you use the term the left or the right, the God of the Bible doesn't speak real well of the left. When he speaks, he speaks largely of the right. He speaks of his own right hand. He speaks of those who are um, at his right hand. He speaks of those who operate out of right thinking, and he speaks of those who also operate out of leftist thinking. You probably didn't know that. So let me put it like this, since I've got about six minutes to, to engage this monologue. I'm going to do this as a kind of cultivation of a biblical and theological framework for the conversation of the left and right, because I think once I'm done sharing with you that the Bible actually promotes the right over the left in terms of the, just the lexical meaning of the left-right, right? Uh, on a theological level, consistently all the way through the Bible. For instance, when we talk about the left and the right, we are not talking about the left and the right possessing intrinsically equal qualities across the board. When we say that we are those who are on the right, or they are those who are on the left, or we are those who are on the left and they are those who are on the right, we're not automatically talking about both sides possessing equal qualities of good or bad. That is far from the case scripturally. When we talk about the left or the right, we are not saying that the left and the right possess uh, morally, ethically, or even numerically equivalent positions. To say the right is this or that is not to say that the left is this or that also. In other words, they are not moral equivalents. They are not spiritual they are not even socially, uh, equivalent from a biblical standpoint, as I'm about to make, uh, evident here with a few of the Bible verses. Did you know that when we talk about the left or the right, the first time that the term left or the right is used in your Bible is in the account of Genesis chapter 3, uh, where Genesis chapter uh, 13, verses 9 through 12, where, where Abraham has gotten into some conflict with his nephew Lot. And guess what? He says to Lot, um, "Is not the whole land before us. Separate yourself. He's speaking to Lot. Let's make a division. Let's, Let's you go your way and I go my way. He says, separate yourself, I pray thee, from me. If you will take, now listen to the first time you hear the left. If you will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you depart to the right, then I will go to the left. And notice what the narrative says. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zohar. Now, I want you to keep the word Egypt and Sodom in mind, because we're going to talk about that in a New Testament context in a moment. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from uh, another. Which way did Lot go when he chose the plains of Jordan? Do you know? Do you know if Lot went to the left, or do you know if Lot went to the right? Well, based upon the outcome of his choice, he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, did he not? He ended up in that place where Genesis chapter 13 basically said, and the people of Sodom were sinners exceedingly. Well, here's another Bible verse you and I want to consider about the left hand and the right, because I believe that uh, that Lot went to the left. He certainly went to the left theologically. And what do we mean by that? Theologically, here's what God says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2. He says, a wise man's heart is at his right hand. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. So what is God saying to you and I theologically in this rich Commentary by Solomon about people's choices. He's saying that a wise man's choice is always right, to the right, and a fool's choice is always to the left. Now, this is insightful, too, because in Genesis 48, if you guys recall, in that very enigmatic expression and overture on the part of Jacob towards Manasseh, and Ephraim, where uh, Jacob was casting a blessing upon Manasseh and Ephraim as he was about to die, he did something that bothered Joseph. And you guys remember Genesis 48 verse 13. Notice what it says. I'm starting at verse 11. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, and lo, God has showed me also your seed. And Joseph brought before his, his knees, out uh, from between his knees, uh, his two boys are uh, he brought from between his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto Jacob. Now, what is the implication? Joseph knew to bring, Ephra- uh, to bring Manasseh towards the right hand of of Jacob, or Israel, was to set him up for blessing. And to bring uh, Ephraim towards his left hand is to set him up for the inferior blessing. But you guys remember exactly what Jacob did? And Israel stretched out his hand. What hand was it? His right hand. And he laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, God before whom my father Abraham Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all the days of my life, and the angel that kept me from all this evil, blessed the lads and let my name be named on them in the name of my father Abraham and Isaac. And when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head upon Manasseh's, uh, from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head, and Joseph said unto his father, not so, my father, for this is the firstborn, put your right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it. My son, I know it. He also shall become a people. He also shall be great, but truly the younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. So you see this principle of preference of the right hand. The right hand in the Scriptures makes makes reference to God's favor. It makes reference to God's righteousness. It makes reference to God's strength. It makes reference to God's success. It makes reference to God's prosperity. It makes reference to God's goodness. David said in Psalm 16, "At your right hand am I of hell?" In Psalm 16, verse 11, he says, "At your right hand are pleasures forevermore." He said in Psalms 18:35, "We are also kept by the right hand of God." And you do know what the New Testament says, saints, that all that are in Christ are at God's what." Right hand. And then finally, before I take a break, and I'd love to hear from you on this Monday edition of Lifeline, Jesus said when he comes back in his father's glory and takes his seat on his throne to judge all the nations, that he was going to set the sheep at his right hand and the goats, where? At his left hand. Now, on a theological level, just bringing that before you as we break, what have you learned about God's choice of right and left? You can study it more at length if you want to and, and, and let me know what you think. But I'm here to tell you, God has a very clear message about the difference between the right and between the left. We've got a whole lot more to talk about on the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number is one 367 We're going to talk about Donald Trump and his four Nobel Peace Prize options. We're going to talk about his Supreme Court uh, judge, decision, and we're going to talk about whatever you want to talk about that is theologically relevant to where you and I are today on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Again, the number one 367 5329 367 5329 I look forward to hearing from you. This is Jesse Gistan. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. The number is one 367 We've got lot, three lines open. One 888 367 if you want to uh, join us on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Left off in my monologue talking to you about the left and the right, because I just thought it was so uh, absolutely finas- uh, fascinating, as well as significant, that the Word of God really does address it. Now, we are very much aware of that culturally, historically, there has been a very negative, even a superstitious view of the notion of the left-hand and the right-hand. You've had cultures that have uh, labored to avoid raising kids with uh, with a propensity to um, have a strong left-hand uh, <clears throat> uh, preference. I'm left-handed and got two of my uh, children that are left-handed, I think maybe even three. Uh, um, yes, three. Uh, and so the left-hand has been viewed frequently as the uh, diminished hand, or the side that comes from a less obvious way. And in the scriptures, if you were to read in the Old Testament where God uh, is working in punishing people and punishing nations and punishing the wicked, he often uses his left-hand wisdom to actually bring about punishment of the wicked. This is Ehud, uh, Ehud, one of the judges out of the... Uh, judges, in the book of Judges, He's, this is that kind of uh, period between the rule of, of Joshua and the mo- monarchy that came into existence under the last Judge Samuel, and we read of Ehud as he was privately conspiring to kill his enemies uh, by having dinner with, uh, with one king, Eklon, and as they're sitting at the table, Ehud had actually devised a scheme where he brought a knife a dagger which he had placed in his right thigh uh, to use it when once he would get close enough to the king to actually strike him. And we're told in Ehud, verse 20 of chapter 3, Ehud came unto him and he was sitting in a summer parlor which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto you and he arose out of his seat, that is, Eklon, and Ehud, no, Ehud arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand, used his left hand, and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into the king's belly, and the haft also went in after the blade. You can read it for yourself. It was a dastardly deed. But this was the time when the nation of Israel was at one of its lowest points relative To departure from God, the theme of the book of of the judges in that day very much marks where you and I are today. And there was no king in the land, and everyone was doing that which is right in his own eyes. There was no king in the land, and everyone is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And I can tell you that that is a very clear depiction of the way our culture and the way our nation and the way Our world is going when it comes to uh, morality and when it comes to right, no pun intended, when it comes to doing those things that correspond with God's will. And as I was stating in my previous monologue, the idea of the left and right are not moral equivalent opposite sides. And you can really know that this is true when you actually look at the platforms of the political parties on the left And the right, let me simply enunciate them as you can find them online. All you have to do is go, what is the difference between the left-wing party and the right-wing party? What are the differences? Well, I'm going to give you just a small run-through of the things that constitute the fundamental differences in policies, which you would hear clearly advocated for and against by the two candidates coming forth immigration policy on the left wing this is the democrats This is your progressive a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants a moratorium on deportation or prosecution of undocumented immigrants who are young adults and have no criminal record for the right wing no amnesty for undocumented immigrants strong border control and fences to check illegal immigration Belief that illegal immigration is lowering wages for citizens and documented immigrants. Now, this is what the pollers are stating. So you'll notice generally for the people on the left, they want open borders. They want our undocumented immigrants to be able to come in. According to Joe Biden, they get Medi-Cal and free uh, education and free health care and insurance and all of that for free. And you don't even have to be an American citizen. Uh, And then on education policies, the left largely uh, uh, favor expanded free public education. The left favors expanded free public education. On the uh, part of the right, they believe parents uh, who want to homeschool their kids or send them to private school should be able to get vouchers for opting out of the public school system generally not opposed to public education but they'd rather find the best education they can in a free market where their tax dollars are already going to public education i'm on the right there i do not believe that we have benefited at all by public education as a uh, prominent method for educating our children on the left you have the left who largely believe in abortion they are generally in favor of unpenalized access to abortion and a vote of adults uh, and embryonic stem cell research. This is an old uh, uh, platform that that gives you the division between the two, but you guys already know that the left largely believe in uh, uh, first uh, trimester, second, third trimester, and even now abortion of babies out of the womb. This is the horrible incrementalism that has taken place over many decades now when the right would argue if there is a freedom for abortion as has been fiercely fought for for many decades then the left will want to incrementally move that up to aborting the baby at any time within the process of a pregnancy and lo and behold that's where we are today that's exactly where we are today on the left, they believe in gay rights in terms of gay marriage, support for anti-discrimination laws to protect LGBT against workplace discrimination. All of these policies are just a rule, as you know, because everybody has discrimination rights. We all do. The right has argued that for a long time. But the right has generally opposed gay marriage, and it opposes certain uh, anti-discrimination laws because they believe such laws conflict with certain religious beliefs and restrictions of freedoms of religion this is where we are on the right and then in terms of the left-right argument we've got gun control issues they the left does not want people to freely have guns the right believes that it is not only a constitutional right it is essential to put in check rogue governments that start doing the kind of things that our liberal governors have done in allowing uh, vandalism and looting and violence and destruction to take place in our land. And we realize now, don't we, that if we fundamentally let people just act like animals, that the police department are not able to actually do their job when the governors hold them back and that uh, American citizens are then left to have to fend for themselves, their own properties, their own businesses, etc. This is what you guys have been learning in terms of a, civics education here in America over the last seven months with this uh, uh, neo-Marxist, if you will, revolution trying to tear down everything in our country, rather than having a discussion about it, a debate about it, a dialogue about it, to see whose views are superior, and then vote on policies that we think would work in the best interest of America, which is the design of our founding fathers under the Constitution, but... You see, again, the left wing is all for violence, it's all for trouble, it's all for the difficulties that you and I are struggling with right now, and uh, and there are more. There are so many things on the left platform that are so diabolically different than the right platform. And the question that I would have before I go to break is this. Um, if you are a Christian and you're on the left, uh, how can you justify policies like abortion, and uh, and same sex marriage, when you say you believe the Bible, and this is the reason why you would hear me actually dealing with leftist issues because they drift more towards a totalitarian Marxist agenda than they would a biblical worldview that believes in limited government and uh, civil authorities that operate out of principles of morality and ethics. All right, I got to take another break. Got to pay some bills. I'll be taking your phone calls after the break. 1-888-367-367 five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Looking forward to hearing you on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. All right, we are back to the Monday edition of Lifeline. We are sorry for any kind of inconvenience. We may be posing. We are working through some technical difficulties, but um hopefully the ride can be a little bit better over the next hour and twenty minutes. We've got two lines open, one triple eight, three six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Let me go to line three and talk with Scott and Hayward. Scott, are you there on line number three? Is Scott there on line number three? Hello? Hello, who is this on line number three?
1: Oh, hey, Pastor this is actually Sean from Redlands. Okay, Sean, you're on three. All right. How are you, Sean? I'm doing great. How are you doing,
0: Pastor? I'm great. What's going on?
1: Good, good. Um, yeah, I was calling because um, I, I was listening to. You. I wasn't going to call, but then when you brought up um, Ehud from the Book of Judges, I'm like, oh, I want to call Pastor Jesse and talk to him about Ehud because um, mm-hmm. it's just an amazing, an amazing passage of Scripture. Uh, and and I I was gonna. The Lord had revealed something to me in the in that text a while back. And I wanted to share it with you, also in light of the right-left paradigm and everything else you're talking about, try to kind of tie it all in, if that's okay? Sure. Sure. Okay, awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, so the the a while back I was studying the book of Judges and seeing how each individual judge, in some measures, reflecting Jesus, was reflecting the Lord in some way. That each judge of Israel is a type of Christ. and. Sure. I was going through um, Ehud, and uh, there's a lot there. I mean, it's really a there's a lot of richness in the word in this in everywhere, but there's a lot in this passage. So I'll try to compress it all. Well, you you, on, um, you, you only have five. We only got five minutes, so you can't actually do
0: an you can't do an a, a extreme commentary. You're going to have to hone in okay. on a fundamental salient point relative to what we're talking about. I I, I, I totally get you on that. I've studied and taught the book of uh, Judges many times. It is radically Christocentric when you earn, when you know how to actually deal with the typological patterns. But make the correlation between uh, the subtlety of, of uh, Ehud and what we're talking about in terms of the left.
1: Um, I, I think I think what the what uh, one way the Lord acts in in the world through His people is, um, his His people can sometimes look. Very weak and disabled at times, especially in the world's sure. eyes. But it's sure. through it's through the weakness and foolishness of gospel preaching that the Lord saves and, and gathers His people in from every nation. Um, and I think EHUD is a is a great example of that. And in these times, the church is is, is there. There's pastors and preachers that are bringing the gospel and. Standing for righteousness and truth right now, but it, it seems very far and few between. To be honest, you know. Um, right. But right. in in the world's eyes, like the 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 church, the, the message of the gospel isn't what the church, isn't what the world needs. It needs other things. But Ehud is like that crippled, disabled man who's left-handed, who brings the foolishness of gospel preaching to slay a king, you know, who God raised up, and then God was going to use Ehud to deliver them against the king that God raised up to, to discipline Israel. And, and so um, the, it, it, the, the beautiful picture in Ehud is, is the foolishness of gospel preaching, and how God will use gospel preachers in the silence of a man's heart, in the coolness of the chamber of his heart and comfort. God will penetrate that man's heart with the double-edged sword of the gospel and make them fall flat on their face to worship the true and living God. And so that's what God will do to really bring about his purposes in this world right now. And and it's and, and, and I think it will come in the context of gospel preaching in the local church in light of what God teaches in 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about prophesying, and then the unbelievers or the outsiders here, the secret in their heart. Just like the secret message that Ehud brought, and it causes them to fall flat on their face and worship God, and it's only through the message of Christ crucified and preached His resurrection, His life, death, righteousness, that men will actually really be changed, whether they're on the right or the left. Ultimately,
0: well, no, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good way to frame it. I, I, I would, uh, I would accept that. I would probably work with that a little bit. Uh, in a, in a little tighter way in relationship to yeah. how Jehovah was working in the context at that time. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm dealing with, with the people of God in, in weakness. The whole judge's account is about a form of weakness because of the rebellion and disobedience. We're in agreement with that. Mm-hmm. That's Second Corinthians mm-hmm. chapter 13 verse 4 and 5. Christ came mm-hmm. in weakness. He was crucified in weakness, but he rose in power. And and humility is where we must be if the gospel is going to have yes. any real efficacy in the world. This is the Kenosis doctrine of Christ humbling Himself, as you know. Uh, but in the Book of mm-hmm. Judges, you have all of these salient characters who fundamentally were flawed. After Ehud, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. he come up with Gideon, and then not only Gideon but Deborah. And in the Deborah account, you've got this kind of left-handed. My point is that theologically, scholars have recognized that God's left hand is his witty hand. It's his It's His apparently weak hand. It's his apparently dark hand. It's right. the hand that you don't see because everybody recognizes that the right hand is the prominent hand. It's the popular hand. It's the hand of strength. It's the hand of favor. It's the hand of over-righteousness. And that's exactly right. So my point uh, mm-hmm. around the political correlation is that Um, today the enemy does not mind at all actually opting to be identified with the left, when in fact what the Bible would tell us is that the left largely identifies with people who are in rebellion against God. Even his people, because the book of Judges, again, Mm -hmm. is indicating the, uh, the rebellion of his people that God will sometimes overthrow in order to accomplish his greatest purpose, That is, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. So, yeah, that Mm -hmm. account is a beautiful, beautiful narrative of um, really what I would call Jesus Christ, the one-man wrecking crew. Because in the book of Judges, Mm -hmm. you have a few characters, not many, a few who are one-man wrecking crews. The other one is Samson. He's a great type of Christ Mm -hmm. as well a one-man wrecking crew, and yet if you are looking for the wisdom of the world, you will not find the wisdom of God in the book of Judges. And let me just say this as I take a break. Quite frankly, uh, and some people can take this for a stretch, but we see God working through witness weakness right now on the larger political level with the false expectations of everyone around the deficiencies and the major flaws that existed in the man that is presently occupying the White House. Quite frankly, Mm -hmm. the paradoxical nature of how God has allowed him to actually accomplish his will over against his demerited, flawed, extremely unqualified characteristics. He never would have got in office if it was dependent upon my vote, I can tell you that now, because I understand Mm -hmm. the standards of uh, leadership and qualities. But what does God do? He's working with a man with whom our nation is in the exact same situation. We are walking around as a nation who once knew God, but are operating in rebellion against God, But in God's mercy, he's still making sure that the trajectory of the biblical purpose of redemption is moving forward. And we're thankful for that. We're absolutely thankful for God doing exactly what he's doing. My particular question to those who are out there in uh, radio land, Sean, and I'm going to have to let you go after this, is how can one be a, uh, a, a biblically committed Christian? and operate out of a platform that is so diabolically contrary to the Word of God. does not mean that we don't have problems on the right. I can easily talk about the hypocrisy of the loud right. I can talk about the arrogance of the loud right. I can talk about the self-righteousness of many on the right, for which God has smacked Mm -hmm. our side down time and time again because no flesh shall glory in its sight but how does one square up the policies of the loud left uh, uh democratic progressive party and call themselves christian if they're holding to a biblical model uh that's rhetorical i gotta take another break way overdue i've got one line open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine i'll be right back all right we are back all lines are open. At least three lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you have a Bible question, Bible comment. If you are concerned about the uh, the course of our nation. If you want to talk politics, religion, uh, we can. If you want to talk um, uh, whatever in between the the letters A and Z, we can we can chop it up while we are headed toward the end of this. First, I would love to hear from some more of you new uh, listeners. Uh, enjoyed it last Monday, meeting several of the new listeners, one 888 367 one 888 367 Did you know that more than 70% of people in America have no significant relationship with those who hold a different political view than themselves, now, I want to repeat that again, and I'd love to, you know, investigate that with you if you wanted to. More than seventy percent of people have no significant relationship with those who hold a different political view. Now, I don't really know how to flesh that out, other than to say that what that would mean to me is that the the nature of political views today are so deeply Personal in terms of the the moral ethical implications of these political views that um that people don't have any real room to be able to actually agree in any healthy way to maintain a substantial relationship now i, I do know that we really do need to be getting along i really i really know that we really do need to be uh engaging people and talking but if if you will Uh, think about this, and and we'll go to the phone lines here in a moment, Um, the way that the atmosphere is today, and this has certainly been the way that it's been for the last couple of years around the social justice movement with this systemic racism paradigm that has been basically like a a religion forced down people's throats. If you actually uh, look deeply into critical uh, race theory, critical gender theory, critical Feminist theory and their method of imposition or ideologically uh, influencing the culture, they don't like to be debated. This is why when you meet these people on the streets, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, or any of them, and you try to challenge them, all they do is start becoming what they use is the term problematic. They problematize or if you are a spokesperson and you go to different events and you uh, are invited to talk about your position, and maybe you might even be critiquing uh, uh, the diversity, inclus- inclusion, equity uh, system that they're trying to impart in almost every sphere and institution and structure of, of life, when you begin to critique it and talk about its origins and its objectives and its fallacies and its weaknesses, uh, you get people that want to rush in and basically try to shut you down. Uh, why? Because they don't want public debate, because public debate by somebody that knows what they're talking about will expose that view for its weaknesses. So this is where we are in our culture. We are in our in a culture where uh, polarization is at its highest level, and guess what? The media is taking advantage of it in order to advance its own goals, and quite frankly, the politicians as well. On the other side of the break, I'm going to talk about why an outsider like Donald Trump has accomplished as much as he has, and yet the media won't give him one bit of credit for what he has accomplished. This is how you know you're dealing with propaganda. You don't have to like the man. You don't even have to have voted for the man. I didn't. I wouldn't vote for him a second time around either relative to... disqualification on a personal level but what he has accomplished he needs to be given credit for because that's what the Bible tells us all to do give honor to where honor is due credit to where credit is due you are just obligated to do it and when a person can't even give an individual credit for good things that he has done then uh, then that too speaks loudly about a lack of biblical integrity let me go to line three and talk with Angela Redwood City before we take a break, Angela, are you there?
1: Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. I was calling, uh, I wasn't sure if I heard properly yesterday um, your church service, but um, I thought I heard you say something about Google. And I've been much more wary of Google these days and trying to use other websites. And so I just wanted to know if you did, what was in relation to and um, you know, just if you can expound on it.
0: Okay, so you heard my message online when I was making mention of the nature of Google as I was dealing with the Book of Revelation. Were you at our service or were you online?
1: I was at at the service.
0: Okay, so do I know you, Angela, or no?
1: Um, I maybe. I mean, I don't not all if you.
0: <laughs> okay. Anyhow, well, here's what I was stating. Uh, What I was doing with Google, which I I look to look forward to developing a bit more further. A bit further. The uh, the portion of Scripture Revelation 13: 16 through 17 deals with the mark of the beast, the number of his name, and it deals with uh, his name. And those who who receive the mark of the beast would then be given the right to buy and sell. This is a historic context in which, if you heard me, uh, in the Roman Empire, once they subdued national Israel, destroyed it and demolished it, uh, Vespasian and his son Titus uh, demanded emperor worship of all the people in uh, the Roman Empire and in, in terms of Israel as well, so that both the Jews, the Christians, and the Romans were all being challenged with what is called emperor worship. Well, uh, every, all the historians know that. Uh, In order to uh, compel universal worship, uh, you have to have a surveillance system. You have to have uh, the ability ability to be as uh, highly intelligent as possible to know the consensus of of your society. Uh, In order for them to comply with a rule that says you bow down, follow these rules, receive the mark, and you, you learned yesterday that that's not some tattoo or some some, uh, you know, some uh, computer chip put in your skin. It's simply that we are compelled by government uh, that is acting in a very draconious and totalitarian and fascist way to force us to engage with a medium by which if we don't, we cannot actually live life. The idea of buying and selling means that if people don't succumb to their method of, of, uh, of, of governance and, uh uh, let's say consumerism, then they're going to be cut out of the system. Well, right now, Google and Facebook and all the other forms of medium that we, we are engaging in, including the Internet, our cell phones, all of this, Angela, is all part of a massive information base. Uh, all of the information that is uh, filtering through uh, the Internet, filtering through the uh the cloud, if you will, filtering through the massive gargantuan giant of Google and 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 Facebook and, and all the other institutions, including our government, because we know that our government is absolutely collaborating with of the business world it's impossible not to because in order to be effective in business you have to communicate so you and i are being watched we're being recorded we're being analyzed we're being completely marketed in terms of our uh predilections in terms of our passions our uh our needs it has our information at the highest levels and if it were to go to another level of being controlled by government in order to implement its power in our lives relative to mandating that we comply with its rules in order for us to be able to purchase things online, uh, uh, you know, use the Internet to engage with other institutions, companies, or people, and we somehow don't comply, well, all they do is just cut us off, take us off the grid, and, uh, and and our life becomes difficult in that regard. It could even become much more significant than that, because if you recall, Angela, and this is a an extended conversation I'll be having with the Saints at Grace, we are moving towards that kind of massive global surveillance intrusion, and at some point... Uh, in position on our lives because they have all of our information and they have the ability to, um, if you will, cut us off from the contact and resources that um, is set up presently uh, in our common market. And we're going to feel it. It's going to happen. They're going to be able to tell us how far we can drive, how long we can use our resources, whether it's electricity or anything else, in the name of safety, in the name of being smart, in the name of, of uh, conserve, conserving energy. All of that is right around the corner, uh, and we are part of that trajectory. And so this is what I meant when I was talking about Google, because here, and I, I only, can, only got about a minute to go before we have to take a break, what the believer has to be clear on is his or her identity in Christ so as not to be defined as a consumer object so that if the world cuts us off uh, and the are no accessibility to our banking accounts, no accessibility to cash on any level, and we'll be talking about the cashless society, it's coming as well, the believer has to already be rooted and grounded in a knowledge of who they are in Christ. Depending on God, to help them to exist off of this grid, because what we're not going to do is bow down and worship the beach and admit that Caesar is God, or that the state is God, or that the global union is God. We have no king but Jesus and his Father, the true and the living God, to whom we worship, even if it means the loss of our life. Now that's mm-hmm. extreme because what we're dealing with is a historical context. We are not dealing with a futurist interpretation as postured by our premillennial dispensationalist brethren. We're dealing with the historical context in which Christians were killed if they did not submit and receive the mark of the beast. You'll hear me develop that more fully. Mm-hmm. But yes, don't be afraid of Google. I use it all the time. But what you and I have to be careful about is not being conditioned by these mechanisms so that they dictate to us that our identity is rooted more in consumerism than is in a reality of life connected to the true and the living God on a grand spiritual nature. I hope that helps. Thank you for yes. your call. Gotta you. take a break. Gotta pay some bills. Way overdue. Three lines open, one Triple Eight Three Six Seven Five Three Two Nine. One Triple Eight Three Six Seven Five Three Two Nine. I'll be right back.